This is Play by Playcast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play by play guys. For play by play guys, by I'm told, a play by play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now, here's the host of Play by Playcast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay. Here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. This is episode number 145 of Play by Playcast. Thanks as always for the subscribe, stream, download, however you have found this here podcast. My name is Joel Godet. This is the podcast about play by play broadcasters for play by play broadcasters, hosted by Play by Play Broadcaster. The professional development podcast that dives into the tips, tricks, experience, process, stories, and preparation of some of the biggest and best play by play announcers in the business. You can find us on social media at PXPCast. You can find me on social media uh, at Joel Godet, or you can email me J-G-O-D-E-T-T at B-S-U dot E-D-U. That's jgodet at B-S-U dot E-D-U for Ball State University. Our guest today is Clay Matvik from ESPN. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, a couple things off the top. We were off last week. If you were looking for a pod and you did not get one, my sincerest apologies. Uh, the end of my basketball season last week, and things got a little hectic. Uh, I was in Columbus, Ohio, doing the Division II Women's National Championships on CBS Sports Network, and that was awesome. Number one, because uh, three of the schools I... Uh, I well, two of the schools I did not know existed <laughs> before I got the assignment. Uh, Southwestern Oklahoma State and Lubbock Christian, actually the two that played in the championship. Uh, Indiana, Pennsylvania, I did know. They're from the PSAC. I've called football games in that league before. And um, Drury was the other one, which has a Ball State transfer on it. So I was aware of uh, who Drury was. But other than that, uh, got exposed to some, some new college teams, which was cool, and some new players and some new stories. And then also got a chance to broadcast the first Division One, Two, Three, any women's basketball game championship in the NCAA to go to double overtime. No women's basketball championship game had ever gone to double overtime. NCAA One, Two, or Three divisions. Uh, so that was really cool to be a part of that. And uh, especially there was a, a near buzzer beater that sent it to the second overtime by Lubbock Christian, who eventually went on to win. It was uh, just a really cool atmosphere to be a part of and you know, forever grateful that I uh, was able to be in that spot for, uh, for CBS Sports Network last week. So uh, that's what was going on last week and had a lot of fun with it, but my basketball season is now over. So things have calmed down a little bit. I'm now into the swing of baseball with Ball State and um, yeah, back into kind of a normal normal ebb and flow. Second point of order. I want to get off my chest here today. Like, this is going to be my rant of the day. PR people are very, very good to work with. Sometimes in this industry. And I think we've all had stories of SIDs that are, that are good and or bad. But, like, I get to this because, twofold, uh, number one... It's like I've had good and bad experiences over the last several seasons of several sports, but like I've never understood. It is beyond me reaching out and saying like, hey, I'm doing the game. Can I talk to coach? And like someone will say no. 
or will make it more difficult or just like won't get back to you sometimes. I've, it's a blow in my mind. I did a game within the last couple of months, um, and I won't tell you for who, and I won't tell you which team, but like I, I did a game where I was like straight up told, I, I no, you're not going to be able to talk to coach. Can I help you with anything? And I was like, what? Eventually, yeah, I did talk to coach, and coach was like, yeah, like next time, here's my number, just call me directly. And I was like, yeah, of course. But it's always blown my mind sometimes that there can be like two poles. Like there should just be one pole. Like this is how things go when it comes to, you know, being a publicist for your team. Uh, and I'll, I'll tip a cap to, to all of those that were involved with the D2 championship last week. Uh, phenomenal at getting information and helping tell stories uh, for the most part about teams and players that, that we didn't know about and that, uh, you know, the American public didn't know about. But, like, it, it blows my mind when there are times that people don't give you that access. Which leads me to my second point. For the most part, over the last 144, now 145 episodes of PXPCast, our guests have come to you via several channels. Uh, one, I know them. Uh, two, I've bumped into them and been like, hey, you want to be on the pod? Uh, or three, I've sent them an email saying, hey, you don't know me, but do you want to be on the podcast? Uh, that is probably, of 145 episodes, like 132 of them. Maybe more. Occasionally, in the history of this podcast, I've emailed PR people for teams, usually, um, and said like, hey, this is the story. We've been doing this podcast at this point for like two years. Here's some of the people that we've had on it. Uh, here's our like listenership numbers. Do you think it would be possible to be put in touch with your broadcaster to have on a future episode? You would be, I don't know if you would be shocked. You would be, you might be shocked at the amount of times that people say no and say no, I know without asking. Which is the other thing that, like, is chafing. Because, like, I'll send an email at, like, 11 o'clock at night when I'm just sitting at my laptop doing other work. And I'm like, ah, I should reach out to a couple of people, try to get some guests. And we'll, like, get a response at 7 in the morning. Or 11.30. And I'm like, okay, I know you didn't ask. But what's also funny is that sometimes I'll just go around the PR person and eventually get to the broadcaster. And, of course, they do the podcast. So, like, it's just, it's it's chafing me this week. It's been on my mind. <laughs> Not that you have one job, but, like, it's media relations, like, relating to the media. And there are the vast majority of them that are very, very good. And even the ones who sometimes say no to people on this podcast, they're very good at their jobs, too. Um, but it's just, it's, it's chafed me. Uh, <laughs> so sometimes, it, it's actually, now that we're getting into, like, the amount of guests that we've had on, like, we're 145 episodes in, and I try to do my best to not double up, it's happened a couple of times, but if people have been on The Voice Behind the Voice, or, say, The Damn Score, um, and each of the three podcasts kind of has their own little separate niche and way that we approach these interviews, but I try my best, um, to not double up. It's like, we're, not, not that we're running out of people, uh, but... Certainly, we've covered a lot of people between three podcasts and 400-some-odd episodes. 
um, all told between all of us, if not more. So it gets to the point where like I'm starting to reach out to ones that are less obvious for me to contact. So it's just very it's interesting how that side of this business works. That's my rant for the week. Anyway, on to Clay Matvik, who I reached out to directly for this, and he was marvelous. Um, our conversation is, uh, is really good this week. We talk a little bit about his upbringing and a lot about his approach to television, what it's like working in television at the network level, what it's like working in television at ESPN, um, and uh, how he built his way up from being uh, somebody that grew up the, the son of a journalist to somebody that became a radio guy, to somebody that became a TV guy, uh, to somebody that became a play-by-play guy. Clay Matvik is our guest this week here on PXPCast of ESPN. Uh, excited for you to hear this conversation that starts with uh, how he got into all of this. It's Clay Matvik here on PXPCast, episode number 145. Um, well, I'm second generation. My dad was in the business. Uh, my dad worked in radio for... Uh, approximately 30 years and he worked in various capacities first on air but then eventually got into sales advertising and um, he uh, he worked that probably for the last 15 years or so of 20 years maybe even of, uh, of his time in radio but I, w- I was at a radio station pretty early in my life you know right around six seven years old is when dad got fully invested in the business and so I was impacted early um, that way and you know I think it was fairly early on I made a decision that you know this is the career path I'm going to take as well and um, and started chasing it pretty early I was I was actually on the air at at the station my dad was working for you know when I was 16 so I was I was really young and uh, fortunately got a lot of opportunities early on to be on air and it, uh, it, you know, it manifested itself pretty quickly and, and you know, it, it kind of snowballed and, and got more opportunities. And, and by the time it was time to decide on a career, there really wasn't turning back. And I was, I was kind of invested in, in this path and it's worked out really well. I feel like the running joke when anybody uh, asks about, hey, I want to get into broadcasting. Do you have any advice? Like the, the, the first thing people always say is like, don't. Um, <laughs> what yeah. So... And maybe this is like a larger, why does anybody get into anything as a second generation? Um, what made you want to do it so much seeing um, the the ups and downs and the, the way that this business in, in many good ways, but also some other ways just like encapsulates your entire life? You know, that, that's a really good question. I, I think that it was it was a purely positive experience for our family. Um up until the point where, you know, I, I, I didn't feel any negative effects of it because of where we had come from. My dad was a dairy farmer. This is no kidding. My dad was a dairy farmer in the 70s. Um, when he came back from Vietnam, um, he inherited the family farm. And and then his dad passed away prematurely of a heart attack in his early 50s, mid 50s. And so dad inherited the family farm and realized he wasn't any good at it. That's the truth. I mean, the cows were always out. He <laughs> didn't like he didn't like everything that went along with being a dairy farmer. And that's the truth. But he was a sports fan. And in the late 70s, the farm crisis hit. And, you know, I, I think that in the back of his mind, he knew that this was a this was a dead end. 
Um, but you know, where, where do you go from there? So one day my mom got a, got a thing in the mail and I think it was just a flyer uh, mailed to the house, you know, one of those direct mail flyers from Brown Institute in Minneapolis saying, are you interested in radio broadcasting? Are you a sports fan? We have a sports casting class, this kind of thing. When Brown Institute was still um, relevant. And at that point, they were turning out a lot of good broadcasters in, in Minnesota and the surrounding area. And I, she sent it back to Brown without even my dad knowing. <laughs> and and I think they got back to him within a week or two and said, hey, come on down, take a tour of the school and and see what you think. So they did. And next thing you know, my dad's enrolled in a course um, that I think wrapped up in a year at that time. It was a year-long course to learn how to be in broadcasting. And so dad, at the age of probably at that point, I think he would have been about 30, 31, 32, right in there, early 30s, shifts gears completely, goes from being a dairy farmer to having a degree in broadcasting and and the news director at a radio station in Morris, Minnesota. (laughs) We put the farm on the market. We eventually got it sold, and that wasn't an easy process an 80 acre farm in central Minnesota, Mm. you know, when nobody wanted to be in dairy farming, you know, especially in a plot of land that size, Uh, you know, every, everything was already starting to steer toward corporate farming and big, big herds and everything like that. And, and, you know, we didn't have that, but they got it sold eventually. I know, I remember that being, you know, heartbreaking time for our family. It just wasn't good financially because, Dad had already taken the job in Morris, and uh, we were trying to finish up the school year back in central Minnesota and, and trying to get the farm sold, and it just wasn't a lot of money and stuff. But then I remember when the, the farm sold and, and Dad got settled into the job in Morris, everything really turned very, very positive for the family. And so I think being at a at a impacted age, you know, where you, everything is just in you're at an influential time in your life, six, mm. seven, eight, nine years old. Everything went from that to a much better middle-class life through the radio industry. And dad was the news director. So he was on the air and that was cool. And he was also selling some advertising and that was interesting to him. And, and, and it, it just seemed to be a very good time for our family. And I think that's what influenced me the most, you know, why wouldn't I want to, uh, you know, chase after something like this because it's been so good for us. What's it like growing up with a dad uh, in that position as well in the industry? I feel like everybody always wants to be great for yourself. um, But when you've got somebody else that knows kind of what they're talking about, and it's not just like the parent cheering you on, there's always that extra, um, you've got to be that much better. Uh, did you did you have that growing up, and 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 what was that like um, as far as pressure, but also in a, in a positive way of having that influence and in someone that that you could you could glean from? You know, my dad and I talked about the radio business a little bit. Yeah, you know, I I mostly listened. 
I, because my dad's fishing buddy was a guy by the name of Larry Best, who was, uh, you know, the morning man at KMRS and Morris. And my dad was the news director and essentially the uh, the guy they would play off each other when dad would come in to read the news. And it was just it was really entertaining. Well, they had a really good relationship off the air, too. And they would talk about the business and, and you know, how much the station was billing and, and and stuff like that. So I would listen a lot. And, and just and, and learn things from their conversations, you know, on the boat or in the backyard when he would come over for a beer. And they also played softball together. And, you know, so he was around a lot. And my dad had friends, you know, from the radio station that he would talk to. And I, I just really enjoyed those conversations. So I, I learned a lot that way. But I, I don't remember dad saying, hey, you got to do this or you need to follow this path or try this because, you know, I really didn't. Uh, start practicing the craft of being on air until I was junior high or, or almost in high school uh, with the tape recorder and such like that. And then dad would listen to a tape or, or two or, or what have you. But the first time he ever told me, you know, you need to do something as far as the radio industry was you need to talk to Todd Rust. He's the general manager and he wants you to cut the lawn. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the first time he pointed me in a direction uh, that had to do with radio, but it wasn't in the way you'd think. He said, Hey, you need to talk to Todd. You need to go over there and cut these lawns. Well, and I did that for part of a summer. And then halfway through the summer, Todd was walking to the station. I said, you know, hey, uh, you know, I would sure like to do something on air. And he goes, well, come on in and we'll give you an air check. And I was about 16 at the time. And we had already moved from Morris to Princeton, Minnesota. And my dad was off the air completely at this point. He was just selling advertising and he was one of their top uh, salesmen in that regard. So, um, I, you know, dad, dad really never pressured me or, or I, I never felt pressured to uh, achieve a certain you know, status or, or, you know, if I had questions, he'd give me advice or point me in a certain direction, but I never felt like I was trying to live up to anything or, or, or I was really a second generation broadcaster in hindsight. I look back now and I say, yeah, I was, and I was definitely influenced by my dad, but, um, there, there's, there's no question that those early exposures to the industry and listening to the stories and, and just being around the business helped pave a path for me did he have a, a a good voice for this too like was that something that was passed down from from him to you um and then did you have a minnesota accent too that you had to work on getting rid of you know i i think i think the answer to to both of those questions is yes <laughs> dad um dad had a big voice and dad dad was loud um he he uh and it was just a naturally good speaking voice. He did have a Minnesota accent, which he tried to hide. <laughs> and because I noticed how he would talk on air and then how he would talk at home a little bit. Um, you know, people go FM on you. You know, they, hey, you know, broadcaster, I, I need to talk like this now. So I, you know, I did pick up on that a little bit. But, um, and then the answer to the, the second part is, yeah. You know, you work on it, and and this is one area where Dad did influence me. He told me that he learned um, from school is that the more you read aloud, even if it's to yourself, the better you're going to get. And um, you know, that's something I certainly did a lot of. And I, I was conscious of the Minnesota dialect early on. Oh, you know, you catch any fish over there? Sure, you bet. You know, 
you know, and and we all our family has that. You know, you get around people at the holidays, and you certainly pick up on that again. And um, so that was something that I was aware of. Yeah. What was your path when you set out to do it? Like, what did you decide? What angle did you want to take? Did, I, I know you were an anchor a lot early, and then you went to to CNN. Uh, SI mm-hmm. for a couple of years like was that did you want to be behind a desk or was it ultimately I, I want to be at a game and I want to be in the thick of it well early on my path was I was going to be a minor league baseball broadcaster that was my goal I didn't set my sights at you know the major leagues I just I wanted an achievable goal and hmm. I, I wanted something that was going to be fun you know and um, and when I was really when I was first getting into radio when i was in my late teens early 20s i thought you know being the play-by-play voice of you know the iowa cubs or you know a a team along that line or or you know the top farm system broadcaster for the twins would be cool you know because i was realistic i'm like who's gonna hire a guy from central minnesota that you know doesn't have a name and and doesn't have a ton of experience but but i thought you know, that's a realistic goal. So that's what I set out to achieve. Um, but then I started having su- some success when I when I got out of St. Cloud State, or actually while I was at St. Cloud State, the radio station in town um, picked up on me uh, because I was doing some stuff at school that was airing in the Twin Cities on Midwest Sports Channel is what it was called at the time. It eventually turned into Fox Sports North. But um, we were doing a a show called Husky magazine. And I, I guess they were impressed and uh, they called me and said, Hey, we've got an opening to do play by play for St. Cloud state football and basketball. Would you be interested? And I was like, I was over there in 30 minutes. <laughs> and so I, I ended up getting that job and, and, and this was working out for me because I thought, well, you know, the, the, the radio play by play is originally what i thought it was going to be anyway but as far as a goal and it's starting to play out so let's let's chase after this because when i got to st cloud state it was more about the television production side is what they were working on there wasn't as much of a radio emphasis there it was heavy in the television production as far as the mass comm department and, and it still is so but so i get i get kind of back on the radio track and uh, it goes really well but because of the school uh, and and what they were teaching and what I was picking up, I kind of got a love for that. And I I had a pretty good resume tape and I started sending those out when I got closer to graduation time. And this was, this is about 1995. And uh, sure enough, I I got a job offer in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And and, uh, that was for my first TV job. And so I, I thought, okay, well now that this is, kind of playing out i'm going to go and see where this takes me i was really after whatever was going to get me paid and was going to give me the best opportunity and even though it kind of shifted gears there a couple of different times in in about a three-year span from tv to radio from radio to tv to radio back to tv i was really after what was going to prove to be the most successful early on and so I got on the TV path, and I got a job in Sioux Falls. That worked out, and I was there for a couple of years. And then I got a job in Omaha, Nebraska, a CBS affiliate, and that was working out really well. And then just out of the blue, I got a phone call from CNN SI when I was sitting at my desk one afternoon ready to do a sportscast. And uh, what, they, what they were doing at that time was they were hiring uh, headhunters, they called them, you know, just people who kind of canvassed the nation looking for talent. 
and somebody in Omaha who was working for this headhunting agency had seen me, thought it was pretty good, put my tape into the system. CNNSI had seen it. They liked me, and that's how I got contacted. So I, I was really fortunate and uh, ended up going to CNNSI and uh, stayed on that career path because at the time it was it was paying off. Uh, behind the desk it was working out and uh, I've been in network television ever since but uh, you know there's always been a part of me that wanted to do live events again and 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 focus on play-by-play and so about five years later at Fox Sports North uh, I kind of told them that's what I wanted to do and they said well we kind of need more of a studio guy a pregame show host guy what have you and I was like eh I'm going to shift gears Mm. and I've been I've been with ESPN ever since and i've i've been uh, you know having that studio ability has helped me i think uh, to be able to ad lib and and, and to, to to have a host type presence because i've incorporated that into my on cameras and, and into my play by play and so i I've, I've kind of got the best of both situations here i've got a i've got a radio background that and that serves well when it comes to play-by-play i've got a studio background that serves well when it comes to doing live interviews and on camera and such and and uh, and the network tv thing has, has been great so uh i think it's all worked out let's uh let's break down the 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 nerd wall here if we can um and, and dive into the nitty-gritty part of it um when you talk about your on cameras uh Everybody always panics and freaks out about those. It's like the first 90 seconds of a broadcast of the next two hours, but it's always so important because it's the first thing people see. Um, yeah. What separates a good one from, like, when, when, when someone who's a decision maker puts one on and says, mm-hmm. like, that guy's great versus, you know what, they're fine. Um, what have you found is, is a big separator that, that makes those intros and that makes those on cameras really stick? Looking real, not look like not looking like you're rehearsed. Um, looking conversational, sounding conversational, because when when you talk to somebody, um, you, you're looking them in the eye and you're 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 greeting them. You're smiling generally. You want to look like you want to be there, and you want them to hear what you have to say. So you have to say something impactful. Uh, sometimes they're a little robotic to me or they, or they hit you over the head with too much information. Yeah. You know? And I, I think that that's kind of what I try to do. I, you know, the basics and, uh, and then make sure that your analyst is the star, not you. I, I've always felt that way. You got to make your analyst the star because invariably they're the ones that have the experience as a player or a coach or both. And, uh, and I don't, Again, uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm a dairy farmer's kid from Central Minnesota. Don't, don't know how to skate really. Never 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 played uh, baseball beyond Legion baseball. Never played football beyond high school. So why would anybody care what I have to say, especially when it comes to X's and O's? And if you hit them over the head with too much um, information, anyway, they're going to kind of tune you out. So, so set up your analysts to deliver the punches and, and, and look like you want to be there and, and try not to look like, uh, that you're, you're, you're reading from a script, even though you may be, I write everything down, everything I say, I generally write down before I do it and commit it to memory. So, because, uh, to me, ad-libbing 
unless you're really, really talented. And and there are going to be some people that are listening to this and saying, yeah, I, I ad lib everything and I'm really good at it. Congratulations. Good <laughs> for you. In my opinion, ad libbing is for amateurs because I, it, it, that's, that's the way I've always approached it because I, I want to organize my thoughts. Again, I don't want it to sound like it's scripted, but I, I, I want an organized thought pattern and, and it needs to match up with what the producer has laid out for me. So that's how I do it. I write it out, kind of commit it to memory, and then I put that card aside or have it in my hand below the camera in case I need to refer to it, which, you know, generally I don't because it's usually only a couple of sentences anyway. But, um, yeah, and I think, honestly, that, that on camera sometimes we put too much into it. Half the time we get joined in progress anyway, and the cam- uh, on camera goes out the door. Um, I think people just want to be greeted. They want to. They want to know why I should watch, and uh, they they want to think. You know, these are uh, this is a guy, or these are a couple of guys, or a couple of women, or a guy and a woman that I can listen to for the next three hours. They don't want to be turned off, so don't give them any reason to turn it off. How does that that uh... That scripted authenticity, for lack of a better way of putting it, um, carry over to an actual game as well. Uh, and I, I ask that from the standpoint of like, I feel like when I do a radio game, it's mm-hmm. it's an easy flow because you're literally just painting everything you see in front of you. Uh, everybody has the cliche that television is a caption, and I don't know about other people, but like when I sit there and I caption this picture thing on Instagram, it takes me a really long time to think about what I'm going to say. Um, so I, there are times when I'm doing television where I'm sitting there and and I, I feel like you can overthink how you're going to capture or how you're going to caption this picture or how I'm going to best weave this entire story arc through this two hour broadcast, including the person next to me. Um, how do you organize your thoughts going into a game so that you can best script an unscripted uh, two, yeah. two hour session? Yeah, I wish there was an easy answer for that, but there's not because every game is a different situation. And and believe me, I, I'm sure everybody does. Everyone struggles with that same question, you know, right before broadcast. All right, you know, because you have to think about it. And that's what I mean by ad living is for amateurs because there's nobody that just walks into the game and says, oh, yeah, I know exactly what I'm going to say. It's no big deal. There is thought that goes into this. And if they tell you they're not thinking about it, they're, they're lying to you. And because we all want to do this the right way, we all want to sound, uh, you know, that we've got we've got all of the storylines buttoned up and we know exactly what we're talking about. But we, again, don't want to hit them over the head with too much that, you know, you know, that they're drinking water from a uh, from a fire hose. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I I think I think it's knowing your stuff and then just you know, gleaning the information that is the most important, trying not to, trying not to throw it all at them at once. It's, it's not easy sometimes. Sometimes thinking, okay, that's a great story. Maybe we should go that route. Oh, this guy just came back from injury. Maybe that's what we talk about. And that's why the producers and the analysts and the play-by-play people and the director, we have meetings and meetings and talk about it because a lot of, a lot of times we have to really pare it down. Um, so, you know, I, I, we, we decide what we're going to talk about. We decide what's the most important thing. And then you just, you, you kind of try to deliver it in a conversational way, you know, and make it sound as simple 
even if it's not simple, as simple as possible. Is that is that a good answer? Yeah, no, no that no, it it works one hundred percent. And well, because that I just is, think there's so much sometimes that we we overthink it too. One hundred percent. I'm sure you've been in that situation. One hundred percent. I mean, like I last week, I'm doing the the Division Two Elite Eight for women's basketball, um, mm-hmm. and you know, it's trying to strike that balance between. It, you're, I mean, you're calling a game. You know, at one point we're calling the national championship of Division Two women's basketball. Uh, that's a pretty big deal. The game tells a story for itself. But on the other hand, I'm sitting there and going, nobody has ever heard. Like, I didn't know Southwestern Oklahoma State University was an actual school until <laughs> until I got there to call their game. Um, and and I, I'm thinking to myself, people at home have to also be thinking, a, where is this place? Who are these people? And why do I care? And mm-hmm. and how do you strike that balance between you know, informing them of who these young women are so that they, they're actually invested in whether or not they win while also balancing, you know, physically calling the game and breaking down the strategy of what they're seeing yeah. unfold. Yeah. I I think you, you do the treetops at that point, you know, and, and I think you're right. You know, most of the people listening aren't going to know exactly, you know, what's what happened to these teams in November is irrelevant. Mm. You know, unless they're unless the coach was fired and they hired a new coach in November and look <laughs> at what this guy has done, you know, then that makes sense is, is the open. But generally speaking, hey, this is Northwest Oklahoma State or, you know, whoever central Oklahoma, whoever you said, <laughs> they are in the national championship game and, you know, they have had a great run. They've had a great season. Their star player, player of the year in Division two leads the way. And you just tee it up for your analyst. Just give them the treetops. They're going for their fifth national title. Might be important, something like that. But you you can't get into the nitty gritty because you've got two hours, or in in the case of football, three and a half hours, to you know screw down into that stuff. Mm. I don't. I think I think the open is for big picture ideas, the treetops. Yep. You know the overarching stories, because if you get too granular there. Um, that's where it's a tune out, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah. Oh, geez. You know, I don't. I, this shouldn't. This shouldn't feel like a test for the viewer or the listener. <laughs> it should feel like an, a, a welcome, an introduction, a welcome. They used to call those welcomes, by the way. Now they call them opens. I don't know what, where that changed. But when I first started TV, it was a welcome. And that, doesn't that sound nice? Yeah. Welcome, a welcome to the broadcast. You know, now it's an open. It's now it's like now you now as a viewer, you got to open a door. Why? I don't know where, where that changed. It used to be a welcome. So I think there's been a philosophy shift and I don't know why. I think it's because it's more of a pro- producer driven industry now. And it's the producer's creation there. And it's really the only part of the broadcast that the producer controls. Think about that, because everything else is reactionary. Everything else you have to react to as the producer because the game is live. So, you know, I I think if we went back to the philosophy of this is a welcome, let's welcome people in, let them relax, as opposed to having to think too much early on, I think we would serve them better, they would be better served, and I think we'd all be a lot happier. Well, I I guess, I mean, I asked that question, too, not just from an open standpoint, but also from a, over the course of two hours, how you introduce someone to teams, players, coaches they might not know um, in the balance of just calling the game versus also being able to tell the right stories. Yeah. Um, well, you got to weave it in. You got to, and, and, you know, you got to, you got to pick your spots, you know, you don't want to shoehorn stuff in because that's also a tune out. Sure. You know, How about, you've got more time than you think. 
how about hitting those big moments um, and the and the the spontaneity of it, like you just talked about. Um, you know, I, I think about you know you're watching the NCAA tournament, and the, you know, the one that stands out amazingly to me was when when I and Eagle was doing the Wofford game, and he just yells, "McGee is not human." Um, and, and I, and it, and it was like great in the moment, but also in my head, I'm like never in a million years would I have thought to myself to yell, the guy's not human. Um, what do you think about when you call a game and something big happens so that, I mean, obviously like yes or good or like got it for a big shot. Like that's a knee jerk reaction. It's going to come out. And if you hit it with the right tonality and let the crowd take over, it'll probably sound great. Um, but I feel like there's like that there's that next thing that makes the next level guy stand out. Um, mm. What what is it or or am I nuts? No, I think you're right on. I, Mike Patrick said this a couple of years ago at the college football meeting. So I was sitting next to him, and somebody asked him the same thing, basically the same question you just asked, and uh, he said, "Well, first of all, are you a fan?" And I thought to myself, mm, "I got to be honest with you, if I'm doing the the women's national championship <laughs> in division two, I might not be. And then I got to ask myself a question. All right. If I'm not, then maybe I shouldn't be here. So he said, so he said, you know, you've got to be a fan of this. You got to, you got to. And, and if, and if you're really not invested, okay, fine. But then find something about it that you want to sell and make it interesting to yourself. And then that way you will be able to sell the big moments. Hmm. I thought, okay, if you, if you're, and after prepping for this stuff, because everybody puts in hours of prep, you you become invested, and you find the stories that you think are interesting. And you go, wow, that's that's a really good story, and so if you go into the broadcast prepared the way you should be, you're going to be a fan of the game, mm. because you you're going to know more than anybody watching, most likely or listening. And so then just let your fan come out in those big moments. Because if you're a fan of this stuff, you're going to go, oh, my goodness, he just hit another one. He's unconscious. You know, it's just – it will happen. It can't be phony or rehearsed. If you rehearse the, the big line, invariably it's going to come out a clunk. Just let, let it happen naturally. I, I don't think that I and Eagle thought – that ahead of time i guarantee you um if it's if it's not uh, organic it it it'll sound bad so keep that in mind it would be my my advice what's uh what what's calling a game for espn like um at at that level and uh and, and and i mean that like different from obviously it's a high level production when you're doing you know fsn north stuff but when you when you go from a, a regional or a localized broadcast to a national level broadcast. Um, what changes and how does that change how you have to approach things? You know, really, the, the production on a, on a lot of levels is the same. You know, in, in fact, a lot of times the people around you are the same for a regional broadcast and an ESPN2 national broadcast if you're working in a particular city because the cameras, yep. the audio, the stage people, the, the the people who set up, you know, are the same people that you'd be working with on a regional broad, broadcast or a national broadcast. So from that standpoint, because they're freelancers, 
and you know they were going to be there too. It it feels very much like that show, and and it, it's it's done the same way. It's it's really not that much. The promos are different. Um, what you're throwing to might be different. What you're taking from, you know, if you're coming out of a show, it might be Sports Center. That that's certainly different. Or you're throwing to Sports Center at the end of the broadcast. But really, there's not that much difference. I, I got to be honest with you. I didn't feel that when I was doing, you know, FSN North stuff, um, and then and and ESPN. You know, there 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 is a there's a recognition with ESPN that you know goes along with it. Oh, ESPN's in town. Um, so that's that's kind of unique, but you know, as far as the broadcast itself, I don't feel like it's that much different. How much in broadcast or I guess post broadcast to feedback do you get from a producer then as well? Like how how much are they in your ear during the course of the game um, and and afterward? What do you hear? Um, you know, occasionally we'll get some feedback. Uh, I, I did on a baseball game here just. A week or so ago, um, got thorough feedback um, from our producer, our executive producer for college baseball. But that's because it's early in the year and we're trying to set the model for the rest of the season. But a lot of times, uh, you know, we might not hear hear that much. And that's actually a good thing. (laughs) Um, No feedback is good feedback. Yeah, I think so. I think at this level, it, it, it tends to be that way. Um, during the game, though, you know, we're, we're talking back and forth with the with the in-game producer quite a bit. You know, whoever that might be. And, and for football, I had the same producer all year, Rob Adamski, who's terrific. Um, for basketball, I mostly had the same producer. But, you know, that was on Wednesday nights. But on Saturdays, it kind of floated around. So we work with a lot of different people. And, you know, that's part of... It's part of adapting too. You got to get used to how they work and what they like to do, and they've got to get used to you. And sometimes that's a feeling out process. I think for football, that's why they like to keep the crews together for the entire season because mm. that's such a grind. Football is uh, is a bigger production, a lot lot more moving parts. But um, you know, they during the game they will try to help us along, and we'll try to influence the show where we think it needs to go. Um, so it's a collaboration for sure. I don't mean to like to 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 make you too vulnerable here, but what what are the things that even someone that's been doing games at the level you've been doing them at for so long, when you take a step back and you're doing an early season baseball and you're talking to the the top executive producer, um, like what are the types of things you're still conscious of that need to or that you want to continue to focus on or hone on, um, or that can even give give you trouble at that level? Well, one thing that we talked about, you know, here last last week or so was just, again, going big picture early as opposed to drilling down into X's and O's baseball or how a pitcher is holding a runner in the first inning. You know, we need to go bigger here for the first inning or two and just kind of catch everybody up on where these teams are at, where they were anticipated to be at, where they may be going. Where they stand in the league, have they been dealing with any injuries that have impacted their season? Has the coach put his thumbprint on since he's in year one? Um, you know, stuff like that, as opposed to, you know, this guy's hitting 312 with runners in scoring position. And, you know, that stuff early on is just not, it kind of, 
it, it doesn't ring it doesn't ring real well early on. So let let's go bigger. And we talked about that, and there there were some reminders that we need to do that. And and he brought up a couple of situations where I maybe had gone too much inside baseball as opposed to staying wider. Does that make sense? Yeah, hundred percent. And that and that was a really good reminder. You know, especially in March, uh, there's just too much we need to catch people up on to where we might be wasting our time and theirs by going to inside baseball early. And let's, let's remind people of, you know, who these kids are and, and, you know, more bio stuff and what, what grade they are in school. And when I, when I say grade, I mean in college too, like freshman, junior, senior, because just by saying junior, that gives an idea of where this kid is at in his college career, as opposed to just saying, you know, here's the Auburn shortstop, Will Holland. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I think I think that that was important. That was a good reminder, and that's the kind of stuff we talked about in that meeting. And 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 and, and that's that's kind of now what our focus is the rest of the season. Let's let's lay the groundwork, and and we, we've got three hours to get into the other stuff, the nitty gritty. But let's not do the viewer a disservice early on by missing some basic stuff. And I think that goes back to like what we were talking about in the open. Let's hit the treetops early and, and welcome them in as opposed to drilling down in too many specifics early, which might not give the viewer a reason to watch or or might kind of be a turnoff. Is college baseball the hardest of the, the college sports that you deal with just because it's it's three hours and you're helicoptering in with a, a roster of 50 that you have that you have time to get in depth with as opposed to football where you're not necessarily going to tell the life story of the center? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, baseball. There's there's quite a bit of prep there. I, I still don't feel it's as much as I do for football. Football is a week long process. Okay. You know, I I think football just because you've got 22 guys on the two deep, and that's on just the offensive side of the ball for one team. You know, so you're talking about 88 guys that could, you know, impact the game somehow uh, on any given Saturday. And so, you know, I, I start I start really getting into it Monday night on, or Tuesday and then, you know, come home on Sunday and then turn around and get ready for the next week pretty much right away. And it's, it's an all week deal. Baseball's not I don't feel like it's it's nearly as is is intensive from a, a prep standpoint. There is quite a bit for sure. Basketball seems to be the easiest. I think everybody would agree on that because the game for the most part moves. It's just two hours and you're not dealing with, you know, a, a bumper crop of people. You're talking about five guys, six yeah. guys, seven guys. Uh, hockey, hockey is the most fun to call for me. Hmm. Um, but I just don't, I just don't have the inventory. I only do about you know, between three and five games a year for ESPN. We just don't, we don't cover that sport um, as much. And, uh, you know, we do the national tournament and I do a regional, but that's it usually. Maybe an, ex- an extra game during the regular season here or there. But um, this hockey season, I did a grand total of five. And now I probably won't call a hockey game again until next March. And that's too bad because that's that's that is a beautiful game to do. I just absolutely love that game. I was going to say you just got an amen from a lot of hockey fans uh, out there. So, <laughs> so we got people listening right now. Is that it? <laughs> yeah. Um, I yeah, I guess yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, not right now. No, no, no. Just oh, I see. No, right, I mean like you. yeah, yeah, big picture. I, I, 
hypothetically, um, hypothetically yes. yeah. Um, Clay, if people want to find you on social media or uh, if they want to track you down on television um, coming up, how do they find you? Uh, let's see. What have I got coming up here? All right. I leave tomorrow for Auburn. I'll be doing a baseball game on Thursday, our SEC Thursday night game of the week on SEC Network. Then on Saturday, April 6th and April 7th, I will be doing Texas A&M at LSU College Baseball. Arkansas-Auburn on the 4th, Texas A&M at LSU on the 6th and 7th. And that game on the 6th is actually an ESPN2 telecast. So that'll probably be the easiest one to see of all three. And then uh, I'm actually doing Mississippi State football the following Saturday, a spring game on ESPNU. The, the the dying breed spring games yeah they're just uh they're just interesting i'll tell you um because every every school has their own format and we got to figure that out and then who knows if the starters are going to play or or if they're going to play for one series or or what's going to happen so we kind of got to figure that out too but it's a lot of prep work for what you know is a two-hour practice basically <laughs> that's a uh, third down stop and four points for the defense that's uh, right yeah. exactly yeah so every school has a different format all right that's clay matvick joining us here on pxp cast as always you can find him on social media as he said at clay matvick uh, c-l-a-y-m-a-t-v-i-c-k uh, if you enjoyed the conversation please do hit him up on twitter and uh, and let him know that you uh, heard it, learned from it, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, some of you have been doing that with some recent episodes. Uh, I really appreciate it. I'm sure they appreciate it um, to, to know that their conversation meant something to to some people as well. Uh, we do this from time to time. The one big takeaway from every episode, thing I appreciated most about Clay and his story that you heard here, um, and I didn't know this, that opens used to be called welcomes. Maybe I did know that, but I just didn't, like it wasn't in my, like the forefront of my mind. That opens were called welcomes, and to approach them as such, it's not the opening to the broadcast, it's the welcome into the broadcast. Here's what you need to know, and you know you can say it's syntax and semantics and all that, but I, I, no, I think that's an important distinction, and, and, and Clay articulated a little bit why. And um, the part of the conversation that immediately followed that as well, that we talked about you know, what I went through with Division Two last week, uh, how do you balance introducing people to the subjects of the game and storytelling with the gravity of a national championship game or whatever game you're calling. Um, and balancing the idea of just call the game versus, yeah, but like, who is Hayden Pretty and why do I care about her? Who is Haley Tucker? Who is Maddie Chitsy? These are all Division Two basketball players, by the way. Um, who are these people and why do I care? Like, sure, Lubbock Christian just won the national title, but why do I care? Uh, that's the fun part, I think, in some ways. ways It's also one of the frustrating parts um, because we're always trying to figure it out and master it of what we do. Um, how do you strike that balance between what's happening immediately in front of you and who is doing it and laying the groundwork and the backstory to set up to the ultimate climax of uh, who wins your game? Um, I thought that was an interesting perspective to uh, get Clay's thoughts on, and uh, I'm glad we traveled down that road. Uh, that does it, though, for uh, this week here on PXPCast. We are off for seven days and back next Friday. Same bad time, same bad channel. We are out.
That will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.